Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl, Chief White House Correspondent for ABC News, and I'm joined by my colleague Brad Milkey, who has been on the campaign trail virtually nonstop for about six months. Brad, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. Thanks for joining me. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was in New Hampshire, then South Carolina, then Florida, so I just got warmer and warmer. (laughs) Nice, nice. And now you're ready for it to get really hot. I'm sure we're going to dispatch you to Cleveland come this summer. Yeah, brushing up on, on all my delegate math. And Brad, you may have heard this before, but the governor of Ohio just happens to be a guy named John Kasich, who apparently is running for president. Yeah, I've heard about him once or twice. Yeah, although it seems like he's so far behind in terms of delegates that that it'll be interesting to see how he sort of saunters into his hometown. But let's remember, he did win the state of Ohio. He is now one of the last three standing, uh, one of the last, maybe the uh, last chance for the so-called establishment Republican or mainstream Republicans uh, to be able to stop Donald Trump. And Kasich is in a unique position here uh, come Cleveland because on one hand, he is the guy that uh, you know will be trying to wage a, a guerrilla war on the floor of the convention in Cleveland to to get the delegates he would need and hoping for an open con, you know open convention, a contestant convention to be able to challenge Donald Trump. But he's also the governor of the state. I was going to say, and his his motto so far has been he's sort of been Mr. Sunshine, and that's all going to fade away if he's down there getting down and dirty on the convention floor trying to wrangle up delegates. But it has been an extraordinary campaign, and I just a short while ago had a chance to sit down uh, and talk with John Kasich about not just his campaign, but also the latest that we've heard from Donald Trump, some extraordinary language, Donald Trump telling CNN that if there is an effort to take the nomination away from him on the floor of the convention in Cleveland, that there could be riots, that that his supporters could actually uh, trigger riots in Cleveland. So let's hear what John Kasich had to say about all that. Governor Kasich, thanks so much for joining us. I'm glad to do it. So I want to ask you directly uh, about something Donald Trump has said uh, that's uh, directly relevant to to what's going to be happening in your state this summer. Uh, he was asked about uh, the idea of a contested convention and and losing uh, on the floor of, of the convention in Cleveland. And he said that if that something like that were to happen, uh, quote, I think you'd have riots. I think you'd have riots. You know, I'm representing many millions of people. What do you make of that? Well, it's it's completely outrageous for somebody running for president of the United States to say to even imply that there could be violence if he doesn't get his way. You know, he's not running for the presidency of the WWE. He's running for president of the United States. And this kind of language is an outrage. And frankly, these kinds of things just um, get people very angry. You know, the people, he can he can get people thinking really crazy things. And you remember another thing. Kids are watching, too. Young people are watching. This is not the way we want to conduct a uh, an effort to become president of the United States. This is this continues to pull us apart, rather than to recognize the difficulties that we have and pull together to solve them. Do you think he's right, though, that, that there is such anger at this time that if he were to come into Cleveland with a clear lead in delegates and then were to lose a bruising fight on the convention floor, that that we could see violence? Well, any leader who's worth his weight and, you know, worth his salt, would obviously say, if they didn't win, that, uh, you know, I didn't win, and that we all need to stay calm, and we need to unite behind the person who did win. 
I mean, to imply that if I don't win, that there's there's the potential for violence, only moves us in the direction of getting people to think that way. Of course, there's there shouldn't be violence. You know, I was there in 1976 as a very young man when Ronald Reagan challenged Gerald Ford. I actually worked five states for Ronald Reagan, and when we lost, uh, you know, we said. Good fight. Let's be united. Let's do what we can. You can't say if I don't win that you know maybe we'll have a ride. Could you imagine if a if, you know we're watching the NCAA tournament? Could you imagine that if a coach said if we don't win and we don't think we get fair you know fair treatment, we may have riots in the stands? What would we do? That coach would be disciplined and potentially fired. To have a guy who's running for president of the United States to do anything other than to encourage his people through the American process, the political process, has to be we bring people together. We gave it our best. We move on. So what's going on? Why is he doing this? Hey, I don't, I don't understand why he would do this. I don't understand if it's designed to stir up his people. I don't know if it's designed to, uh, to threaten people. I don't know if it's designed just because he's used sloppy language. I don't know. You ask him. Don't, don't ask me to ask them. You ask them. The media start, better start asking them these questions because I'll tell you, there's a lot of people out here that are shaking their heads saying, what is happening to America? Yeah, well, believe me, we're, we are asking. Uh, but if you get to his point, aside from the talk of violence and riots, he's saying that there's this fundamental question of fairness. If he comes into that convention with an overwhelming lead, which sure looks like we're heading towards, uh, isn't there something wrong about not uh, about taking the nomination away from him, about winning an ugly flight, uh, fight on the floor of the convention? Is there something? Well, first of all, I wouldn't be assuming there's an ugly fight. You know, I wouldn't assume that the delegates who go to a convention aren't going to say that they want to pick somebody who actually has a record of bringing this country together and solving problems. So, you know, this is the way, this is the political system from the standpoint of we have rules. Now, I mean, if he gets close to the magic number, he's likely to win. But people may at that point stop and say, who is this guy? Can he lead us? Can he bring the country together? Is this a guy that, is, that has a record of bringing people together? Uh, I mean, that's what we have to face in America today. Furthermore, I mean, I think at one point they're going to ask, ask themselves, can this guy even win in the fall? Because I don't believe that he can. Uh, the negatives are too high. But look, let's see how it all plays out, and let us not assume what it's going to be like. But one thing I don't want to see, whether I'm running for president or not, we don't expect to have a convention here where people are going to get out in the streets and cause violence. We will not tolerate it. So you're going to be going to this not only as a candidate, uh, you know, trying to trying to get delegates on on the floor, but also as the governor of the state. So what what measures do you have to take to ensure it is an entirely peaceful affair? We will prepare as we do all the time. Whenever we see things that we that concern us, uh, we prepare. We'll prepare as effectively as we can. We will work with the city of Cleveland, the county of Cuyahoga, and the state of Ohio. We'll we'll all be involved to make sure that people can come come to Cleveland and have a great time and experience the American political process, which is absolutely awesome. And if it does come to a contested convention, do you believe that ultimately the winner of that must be somebody that has delegates now? In other words, somebody that, that, that actually got into this process, or could there be you know, the, the dreams of a white knight coming in, a, you know, a Paul Ryan or somebody who didn't run at all? 
uh, get, getting the nomination. Well, look, I'm not going to go there. The, the, the process on the convention floor, because I've been there, delegate, delegates take things very seriously. They know that they're involved in the selecting of a president. I witnessed it. I was, I was there and saw it. I worked with delegations directly. I understand how important the delegates take this. So I think what we have to look forward to, because I, it is very likely we're going, to, we're going to end in a convention, is let's look at the positive side of it. Instead of our young people spending time, you know, thinking about the Kardashians, although I don't have anything against the Kardashians, they're going to be spending time in the schools learning about how we pick a president, about American civics. And I think this whole country believes that all of our young people need to understand our history and our process better for the selection of a president and who we are as Americans. Governor, you had a big win in Ohio, and there probably is no state more important in presidential politics than Ohio. Where do you win next? Well, we're, we're moving all across the country. There was just an article uh, that appeared in the New York Times that compared the amount of media, earned media, that the various candidates had. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's very instructive. When you take a look at what these other candidates received over a long period of time and what I've received, we're now starting to emerge and people are starting to finally hear my message. So we're going to stay positive. We're building a team. We feel a lot of momentum in Ohio. We won in Ohio by 11 points. The people here rejected the vision, and they accepted unifying. And uh, we'll see, John. I'm not going to get into the business of making predictions, but I will tell you this. We're going to continue to to accumulate delegates. Well, we've been talking to you. I've been talking to you from the start and and eager to do so. So it's, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you again. I want to ask you one more thing before you go. And by the way, I understand this is your day off, so I really appreciate you taking time uh, to talk to us on, on, on perhaps, you know, the first break you've had in, in months and months and months. Um, Donald Trump, uh, also, in the same interview, where he, or same day he talked about the, the riots, I uh, was asked who his foreign policy advisors are. And he said, uh, I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very good brain. Look, I respect uh, the, the way in which people make decisions. I recognize the fact that people are frustrated. Uh, they're worried about their jobs. They're worried about their incomes. And they're worried about their children. Uh, but, you know, I lived in that environment, and what we see happening with an 11-point victory in Ohio across every, basically every region and every demographic is that when people finally settle down, once they, you know, they need to hear from somebody exactly what is your record, what have you done, and what is your vision. And so that's what I keep doing, and, uh, you know, we're down to three. Uh, most people didn't think I'd make it to here. We're having a great time. We're getting a lot of momentum. Uh, I was at Villanova yesterday with those wonderful students. We had a positive, fantastic rally. I'm just going to keep doing what I do, and we'll see where it all it all ends up. I'm very optimistic at the end they're going to pick somebody who absolutely has a record and somebody who can win a general election, not a couple other guys who, frankly, can't win in the general because their messages are not very unifying. All right, Governor John Kasich, down to the last three and the last governor standing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And our hearty thanks to Governor John Kasich. Next up, we have Brad Milkey's conversation with two of ABC's top young reporters, campaign reporters, Mary Alice Parks, who has spent much of the last six, seven months on the road with Bernie Sanders, and John Santucci, ABC's man embedded in the Donald Trump campaign. Trust me. He's got some stories.
ABC News Radio. The situation unfolding in the streets of Ferguson is absolutely chaotic. Another volley of shots, five or six gunshots. Honored with the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award for overall excellence for the second year in a row. We're at the Al Aqsa Martyrs Hospital, which has been hit by Israeli tank shells. There's a gun battle raging in the streets of Kiev. There is some sort of debris in the water. We will be the first plane on site. The best team in radio is right here. ABC News Radio. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl. One of the things about ABC News is when it comes time for the campaign, we send out the best and the brightest young stars we have at the network to basically put everything on their lives on hold and essentially embed in the campaign, spend their time traveling the country with the signed candidates. So I'm going to turn this over right now uh, to Brad Milkey, who, as we mentioned, spent more than six months running around the country, uh, basically living in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. And also uh, two of our campaign reporters, John Santucci, uh, who has spent the last six, seven months or more with Donald Trump and Mary Alice Parks, who has done the same with Bernie Sanders. Brad. Thanks, John. That's right. So I'm joined right now by Mary Alice Parks, who's been following Bernie Sanders all over the country, and John Santucci, who's the one and only man assigned to Donald Trump. They've both been doing this gig for months and months, traveling across the country, watching these candidates up close and personal. So, Mary Alice, I'll start with you because I know you're pulled over on the road in Arizona right now. Where are you? Yeah, I'm in Sedona, Arizona. It's gorgeous, uh, home of the beautiful Red Rocks and Mesas. Bernie actually has a daughter that lives here. And so as the campaign is shifting west, he took uh, yesterday and part of today to time out, regroup, get a little rest uh, with his daughter here. We're headed to an event in Flagstaff this afternoon. The weather right now is, I'm sure, sunny in Arizona. But what's the mood of the campaign like? Is it as sunny after this Tuesday where Hillary Clinton really uh, did so well in, in these states on sort of this mini Super Tuesday? It definitely not. The mood, the mood is is low. It's it's a it's a rough few days. It's been a rough few days for the campaign for sure. It was a major setback. You know, they knew that they were they were coming from behind in all those states, but still they were feeling optimistic. There was a real hope that they were going to be able to pull a Michigan in Ohio and Illinois. That Michigan was not a fluke, but instead, um, you know, the the was going to set the tone for the Midwest. And so it was, it was a real disappointment for the campaign. Uh, you know, they are trying to, to stand tall, the, the, especially those that are really close to Bernie as campaign managers, some of his senior advisors. They're telling everyone, you know, we onward to the West, here we go, um, the next day forward. But, but especially for some of the folks doing day in and day out work and on the ground in the field, it was a rough few days. Now, John Santucci, you follow Donald Trump. So when he goes off the campaign trail, you're one of those lucky people who actually get to go home to your home state. So tell me about where you are and where you've been. Uh, well, we finally got back to uh, New York uh, late yesterday, Brad, after spending several days down in Florida on uh, Trump's second home, uh, the compound of Mar-a-Lago that he's owned uh, since the mid-'80s. You know, we have been all over the country, as Mary Alice and I both know all too well, and so do the good people at uh, the airlines that fly us crisscross around the country. Um, but, you know, for Trump, the last several days have been uh, banked down in Florida, hoping for a big win there. And as we know, Brad, he had that win, you know, taking out uh, the sitting senator there, Marco Rubio, winning um, by double digits. Uh, and they felt really good going into that home run stretch of March 15th. And that has been something the campaign has been saying for the last several months, that, you know, we have to get past March 15th. That's a big day for us. If we do that, we will feel good. And they did 
very well, as we all know. Didn't win Ohio, um, but that was one state they had already surrendered, if you will, uh, to the sitting governor there, John Kasich. Well, so let me ask you this, John, because when we talk about the mood of these campaigns, if this were any other campaign, we'd be talking about Donald Trump running away with a number of delegates on his way to a comfortable, easy time at a GOP convention in Cleveland. But that's not necessarily how people are talking about Trump. So is the mood there one of defensiveness, one of we've got to lock this up now? Or is it are they free and easy, excited about all these wins they're racking up? No, actually, I, I think it, it's the former, not the latter. You know, they feel right now that it is going to be a fight. And if you've looked at the last several weeks here, they are starting to bring people on board that can help them. You know, they have had Sarah Palin there. They've had Chris Christie. They've had Ben Carson. And one of the interesting things, actually, Brad, out of the Ben Carson endorsement was taking several of Carson's staffers who specialize in delegates. That's the key here for Trump. He needs to get to that convention with 1,237. That's the magic number there. If you hear it from anyone on the Trump campaign, they can almost recite it in their sleep. One, two, three, seven. Now, if they don't get there, Brad, which mathematically looks to be a challenge that he might miss it by just a little bit, they need to go out and do damage control. They have to get people on board, and they understand right now that that's been a struggle for the Trump campaign, that they have to try to pull people in to get on board with their message, their movement. And Trump has actually said that repeatedly. You know, the phrase he's been using on the trail and when speaking to reporters is embrace it. That's been his message repeatedly to Republican establishment. Embrace it. Embrace what we are doing. Embrace what the voters are saying. I think that is the message you are going to hear from now until we figure out who the nominee is going to be. All of this consensus that he needs to build, John, I mean, is that making him any more of a unifier? Is he is he reaching out to more people besides these big names? Do you get the sense that uh, Donald Trump and the campaign are trying to be a bit a little bit more exclusive? Uh, a little bit more inclusive, sort of embracing their arms around the GOP. You know, I think it's a slow process, because remember, too, for Trump, you know, this was the, uh, I would never call Donald Trump a little engine that could not, but, you know, this, this was the, the train almost that they uh, ignored, they thought would never leave the station. Now, as he says proudly, the Trump train uh, is, is growing and getting bigger day by day. I don't think you're in a situation yet where Donald Trump is going out and saying, come on aboard, get over here, you know, oh, let me bring you on board and we'll chat and I'll, I'll get you to stay with us for a while. I think that you are in a situation now where people are reaching out to Trump. You'll remember a week ago, Paul Ryan said that he actually placed a call to Trump and had a nice conversation with him. We learned just a few days ago that a similar conversation took place with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. So I think more and more uh, people are coming to Trump. I think he is accepting some and the ones that he wants uh, to get on board. He's actually reaching out to, but I don't think you're having a situation yet where Donald Trump is, you know, sitting in his office, picking up the phone himself and calling people and saying, please come on board. The big engine that could, of course. Uh, Bernie Sanders still chugging along. Uh, so Mary Alice, I mean, is he chugging along throughout the, all the way to the convention? What's the, what is the end game here for Bernie Sanders, who looks so far behind in delegates right now? You know, the Sanders campaign has said since the beginning that they were in it until the end, that they are going to stay the course through the convention no matter what. And I think that, you know, there are, there are a number of reasons why that will likely be the case. Um, one is this idea that, that the math is never totally impossible, though it is highly improbable at this point. They talk about the fact that there's huge del number of delegates still at stake in big states like California and New York, where they think they will do well. But it's also 
something more symbolic than that. Uh, you know, the, Bernie has said in his speeches every single day since the very beginning that this campaign is not about him, but about creating what he calls a political revolution, this movement, energizing voters, getting people re-engaged in the political process, young people, uh, unemployed folks, people that have been sort of felt disenfranchised in the past. And so I think that a big part of this is the Sanders wanting to make sure that they carry this on, build the momentum, um, bring people in, ride this ride as, as long as they can. And it, when I talk to folks on the ground at his events, they seem to agree. Overwhelmingly, they say, absolutely. Like, look at what we've built. Look how far we've come. We should um, t see this through. And and so I think that's a lot of what of what they're doing. The other part of it, I'll just add, is is the Democratic you know party is going to have to write its platforms and its priorities for the general election, for uh, an administration should they win the White House. And you know the Sanders campaign wants to make sure that that Hillary Clinton stays as far to the left as she has sort of come in this primary. You know, she has adopted a lot of the language and platforms that were his, and they want to be able to kind of hold her feet to the fire. And one of the ways to do that is to come to the convention with as many delegates as possible. Mary Alice, be honest with me here. And John, you can chime in on this too, because uh, when you started this campaign, Mary Alice, with this 70-something-year-old uh, Vermont senator, did you think that you would be tracking this guy all the way to the convention? Did you think you would be on this ride with him? No, of course not. I don't think that anyone did. Though though I will say, um, very early on, it was apparent that there was an exceptional excitement and energy around progressive ideas. Um, there was a huge part of the country that was not interested in letting, the country and the Democratic Party, that was not interested in letting Hillary Clinton just own this from day one, walk away with it. And so whether it was going to coalesce around Bernie Sanders or someone else, we have progressives that have felt um, upset for the last eight years, a little cheated for the last eight years, that have been exceptionally mobilized around the Occupy movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, so it is not it was not surprising to me that that a movement emerged, um, that you had these energized crowds. I think the surprising part of it was, like you said, the face of it. Um, but 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 Bernie Sanders has his own charm and people were excited to sort of embrace him. What about you, John? What's it been like as this campaign went from this sort of uh, what, what many people in the Republican Party thought was a joke to clearly going to the convention, possibly locking up the nomination and, and taking you guys all along for the ride? You know, I, I think to Mary Alice's point right there, you know, we, we both had uh, the two folks in this race. Everybody said, oh, this will be fun for a little bit. Um, and when, you know, when I was first assigned Donald Trump, I, I've said this many a time, I just thought, wow, I guess nobody really wants me to do this job. They want me to go and have a little fun for a few weeks. You were you know, expendable. Yeah, exactly. You know, come back to Good Morning America where you've been. You don't have to stay out there for too long. Um, it's been a ride like none other. You know, I, I think for each and every one of us, no matter who we had, you know, you, you've obviously seen the good days, the bad days. For Donald Trump, it's, it's never been a boring moment on this campaign. I think time and time again, covering him, you know, you are right there as he is steering uh, the news, frankly. You know, he's the one who will throw an idea out there, you know, the, from the wall or the Muslim ban that he has suggested or several other things. And, and time and time again, you are shown um, the impact uh, that Donald Trump has on the cycle uh, from the people who go after him, that he goes after them harder, and then they suddenly 
disappear, uh, you know, from the topics that he's raising. It, it is never a dull moment covering this campaign, even on a day when, when you're uh, here in New York and uh, you think, oh, it'll be nice and quiet. You know, this morning he sends out 17 tweets of one after another. You know, he, he is like no other candidate, um, whereas some people are very distant, don't uh, like the media, don't want to do any media. You know, he obviously says he doesn't like the media, but every two seconds he'll show up on a cable channel or morning talk show uh, as a phone interview. So I, I think for Trump, it's, uh, it's that never-ending uh, cycle here. And, you know, we're staying on for a long ride, it looks like. So I've been staying in certain states, right? I was in New Hampshire for several months. Then I was in South Carolina for a month. I was just in Florida for the last couple of weeks. And, and what's been striking there is how different some of the voters are. Donald Trump has been this sort of unifier where maybe we didn't think we'd see one, right? He's certainly not a regional candidate. So, John, I'm wondering, are you getting different reactions from different voters in different parts of the country? Or or is the reason that people are drawn to Donald Trump a a pretty nationwide thing? Well, I think, you know, I, I think anytime you talk to a Trump supporter, nine times out of ten, um, they will tell you two things right off the top of, uh, of the speaking of it that, that draws them to Trump. One, he tells it like it is. Two, he's self-funding his campaign. Those are two things that I hear. It doesn't matter if it's Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, or Texas. Those are the things that pull people towards him. Then on top of that, there are other issues um, that, that they, uh, you know, find extreme uh, comfort from him. You know, some people um, are, are big into the Second Amendment. They obviously feel as though uh, that is going to be something that Donald Trump will protect. Other people are concerned about ISIS. So when Donald Trump says, you know, we're going to go bomb the, I will not say the word, uh, out of ISIS, you know, they, they, they are connected to him. Uh, when he talks about, uh, you know, getting rid of Common Core and which he mentions in just about every single speech uh, that you hear from him. It's different topics after that, but I will say that I think those two first bullet points, the tells it like it is and self-funding, those are the things that people can relate to because as far as the second point is concerned, he is the only candidate that has put a majority of his personal finances into funding his campaign. So, Mary Alice, same question to you because I know the Bernie Sanders campaign has accused Hillary Clinton of being a regional candidate. She's had these huge blowout victories across the South. But as now we move west, like where you are right now, do you think that voters out there have uh, perhaps a bit more of a hunger or a bit, or a bit more open to Bernie Sanders? One thing I find really interesting are some of the overlaps between the Bernie Sanders crowds and the Donald Trump crowds. And I think John really hit the nail on the head when he talked about um, self-funding. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but the one thing these two candidates have in common is that they're not taking corporate super PAC money. And though we associate Donald Trump with with billionaire class and big corporations and business, in some ways, these two movements are a huge rejection of Citizens United. And that is something that is consistently talked about in Bernie Sanders crowds from New Hampshire to Arizona. And they love the fact that it is a it is a campaign funded by the people. They, he, uh, Bernie says to all of his crowds, you know, what, what would you guys know the average size of a donation to my campaign? The crowd chants back twenty seven dollars and they love it. Um, it's it's been there's been over five million individual contributions more than any other can to any you know more than any other candidate that at this point in a race in history um, and that's been really exciting for for people um, this sort of rejection of of needing money from from special interests and business for the campaigns you know I think that the other thing that really um, binds Bernie Sanders sort of 
uh, supporters are, are some of the really specific issues. You know, young people care tremendously about student debt. Uh, a lot of folks still care tremendously about health care. Um, and that those those seem to be a. Uh, uh, really nation nationwide issues. All right. Mary Alice Parks, hopefully getting her fix of Mexican food out there in Arizona. John <laughs> Santucci, finally able to order takeout back in New York. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. John, you probably know what a lot of this is like. You spent a lot of time on the trail with these candidates, so I will send it back to you. All right, Brad, thanks a lot for joining us here on Powerhouse Politics. We'll be back next week with the next chapter in this extraordinary campaign.